Stu, I'd have to say uh, the Glenn Beck program may have been the best Glenn Beck program of all time. Yeah, well, that's the reason why we call today's show The Big Show. The big and show. It, it really did it's pan out very that way. Big show. <laughs> very, very big show. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Dace was on with us. Yeah. Uh, Ken Paxton was on. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit about money printing. Talked a lot about the Great Reset. Uh, the the World Economic Forum actually did a tweet thread addressing me and what I said on this program yesterday, which seeing they're over in Davos with all these world leaders, you'd think that would be low on their priority list unless what I'm saying is heading a little too close to home. You'll hear it all and so much more, including how many masks does it take to be able to completely protect yourself from COVID. And don't forget, uh, tonight, Glenn's got a special. Um, you want to make sure that you do not miss that. It starts at the whole night. I mean, look, I mean, there's lots of stuff all day. That's great. But let me start you at 8 p.m. Eastern with Stu Does America, followed by Glenn uh, TV. That's all coming up tonight. You can subscribe at blazetv.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. You'll save 30 bucks. And you can always get a lot of our stuff. I think yours is on YouTube tonight, right, Glenn? Yep. Yep. Mine's on YouTube as well. My, my channel uh, is at Stu Does America. Uh, or, or Glenn Beck. You're actually, it's on the Blaze TV yeah, channel. Blaze tonight. TV channel on YouTube. But make sure you subscribe. We need your support at uh, blazetv.com slash Glenn 30%. Here's a podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Two weeks ago on TV, we talked about government and private industry coming together in the Biden administration. They're just getting started. Every time you open a closet at the Biden White House, there's another special interest skeleton that tumbles out. Tonight, we're going to take a look at the major stakeholders who have their tentacles all over this White House. The new Biden administration already showing America the natural end result that comes from decades of being dominated by special interest groups. Eventually, you get government that at the top is so beholden to these groups, you can call them stakeholders. The stakeholders have vested interest in the actions and policies of the government, financial interest, ideological interest, often both. These stakeholders always take priority over you and me. Tonight, I'll show you the stakeholders in this new stakeholder capitalism and the Biden administration, what they want who they're working with inside the Biden administration, 9 p.m. Eastern on blazetv.com and Blaze TV YouTube. 9 p.m. Eastern, blazetv.com or Blaze TV YouTube. We have Ken Paxton with us. Um, he is the uh, 51st Attorney General of uh, Texas. He has uh, fought and won many of the cases against um Barack Obama's administration, and they've just posted their first victory on the Biden administration, the first one to bring a lawsuit. And within six days, Texas has halted uh, Biden's illegal deportation freeze. Joining us now is Ken Paxton. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning. It's been a fast start, hasn't it? Uh, uh, it is breathtaking how quickly things are changing. Uh, and, and quite honestly, we were talking about it in the break. A little frightening. Um, it, 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 I agree. It is frightening. And it's, it's, I've never, I don't think it's ever happened this fast. I mean, I think, uh, Biden is off to the fastest start of any president and just uh, issuing executive orders and changing sort of what we had going. Yeah. He had a, uh, 
He's had a record of, uh, I think, 38, uh, which just smashes all the other records of uh, executive orders. He's signing more today. This one, uh, they are going to preserve. I don't know what that means exactly. I, I fear I do. I've read Agenda 2030. Preserve 30% of all federal land by 2030. I don't. That's not good. I don't know exactly what that means, but that doesn't sound good. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. First, let's talk about the win that you had. Um, tell me about the lawsuit and, and what it means. So we had a, a, an agreement that we signed with the Department of Homeland Security recently that said that if they were going to change major immigration policies, that we were going to be provided uh, notice. Um, and so, obviously, the executive order that came out that ended all deportations and the invitation for people to cross the border uh, didn't meet those uh, those requirements. And so we filed a lawsuit on uh, President Biden's third day, and we challenged that executive order, not just based on that agreement, but also based on the fact that federal law requires him to do certain things that he has said now he will not do. And so we argue that he violated federal law and his constitutional duty to enforce the laws that now exist. And so what did the judge say? So the judge basically gave us, we were asking for a preliminary injunction, uh, a temporary injunction first. Uh, we're going to seek a permanent injunction next. And we did that because we had to show that there was harm to the state of Texas if this went forward while we were litigating the merits of the case. So we haven't won the merits of the case. We have merely made a good argument showing that we will suffer irreparable harm as a state if this goes forward. And it, it wasn't hard for us to show that given that we already have a mass of people coming up from the southern border essentially have COVID that potentially have other communicable diseases that potentially are criminals and that will cost the state of Texas billions of dollars. And so that harm was not hard to show, in my opinion. So how are you going to argue for permanent, uh, especially with the way this administration is moving, where social justice uh, outweighs everything. Well, it's it's going to be pretty much the same argument. It, it, just to say we are going to suffer damage. We need time to to have this question answered as to whether the president is violating federal law by stopping the you know the implementation of what is federal law. Is, is it can he do that? And and the the argument that we need uh, time or we will be harmed. Still, it's the exact same argument, just that we need longer to decide the merits of the case. So, but 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 wait, what what I'm saying is, if if you're arguing, and uh, you know Biden, this is all changing now. We're not talking about rule of law anymore. We're talking about uh, social justice outweighing absolutely everything. If they um, if they win, and he can just say we're not going to do any of that. A, isn't that what they've already done with, with uh, you know, we're not going to enforce, you know, busts on pot. So haven't they already done that? And if they do uh, codify this in the courts, then doesn't this make him in some ways a dictator to where he could just administratively do whatever the president can, not just Biden, but any president could just do whatever they want. And it never has to go through legislation. No, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, and it, it means literally that Congress becomes almost irrelevant, the courts become not so relevant, and the states that are supposed to have all these powers reserved to them, 
that are not specifically granted to the federal government also lose their power. It does become a real focus on one person having all of the power, which clearly was not what our framers intended. So, Ken, I've talked to other attorney generals uh, around the country, and they are as just as concerned as I am. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, I know many of them are all working together to try to stop this onslaught. Um, but is there, is there any conversation about a, a sanctuary state of, of not secession or anything like that, but just saying this state will not violate the Bill of Rights and the Constitution? And if you try to do these things that are unconstitutional, this is a safe haven, a sanctuary state for rights. You know, it's interesting that conversation has not come up among the AGs specifically, but I was at a conference with technology leaders around the country, and, and most of them were actually pointing to that by saying they were either considering or they were on their way or they had already moved to Texas or Florida because they felt like those were states that they could go and be safe and that, that, that this the risk in the states that they're in is, is becoming untenable for them. And they're trying to find a safe haven where they will be, where their rights will be respected and they will have continuing opportunities to work. Uh, and I mean, how do we do that? They are already talking about, you know, if you're depersoned that you won't, what was it? The head of MasterCard said yesterday, we don't have to do business with just anybody. Meaning, if we don't if we don't like the business that they're in, we can just say we're not doing business with them anymore. And this is a growing trend. And when it comes to businesses like mine or for anybody that is unpopular, uh, this is extraordinarily dangerous. Are the states will Texas stand behind the universal God given rights that we have always stood with? We will in my office, you know, I'm part of, you know, I'm part of the entire state. I'm not the entire state, but we will in my office. That's why we are now investigating the five companies that were related to the parlor deplatforming because we want to understand how, how can, how are they doing this? How, how do they have the authority to just deplatform a whole company because they disagree with their, their views or they disagree with the people that they allow to speak? Are you and the governor having conversations at all about, critical race theory to make sure that's not being taught in our schools? Well, I haven't had those conversations. That's not an area that I can do much about as attorney general, um, unless there's some specific violation of law. My job is to enforce whatever laws we have. So I always have to look for my way of getting into court. Well, we can't, we can't teach discrimination in schools. Can we? No, but that, that would be a, probably if they were teaching discrimination law school, law, uh, in schools, that would be a probably a, a lawsuit by an aggrieved party, a student, a parent who okay. said, hey, I, I, you can't do this in, in this school. And then it becomes under your purview. Well, so then if the school asks me to represent them and I think they're wrong, I say, no, I can't, I'm not representing you. This is a legitimate lawsuit and, and you need to be accountable for doing the right thing. Okay. Do you have any advice for what the average person should be doing right now in their state? Absolutely. I think they should be speaking out. I think that the, the more voices that are speaking out, because what is going to happen, my concern is, you know, they go after the president 
and people don't say anything. If we, if we keep quiet right now, if people are afraid to speak, which I see some of this, I see some of this with, you know, some of my fellow AGs. I see this in a lot of circles. People are afraid that if they speak out, they'll be deplatformed or they'll be canceled. So if we, if we don't all speak out, if we don't address these election issues in states where there was, you know, they weren't following their, their own laws, we have to address that now or it will be too late. They will come and deplatform all of us. And if you think you're going to hide from that, you're not going to hide from it. They may get to somebody else first, but unless we're all working together, it's going to be a problem. Ken, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you for, thanks for staying on top of things and thank the governor for us as well. We are counting on uh, our state reps and our governor and you to stand and fight the good fight against this onslaught that is coming uh, our way quickly. I'll say this, Glenn, if Texas doesn't fight, if we are in the middle of this fight, um, I don't think we have much hope. I think it's Texas has to be in the fight. Texas has got to. I mean, I've, I've talked to sheriffs and they've said, if I have to deputize every single citizen in my county, so they have the right to carry a gun. We're not backing. We're not backing down. It's got Texas must. I mean, it's really sad. I talked to Christy Nome and I'm like, you know, I'm a little embarrassed. Texas should be knocking you into the dust right now. Uh, we need to be Texas. We need to stand and be very clear and be a leader for freedom. It's supposed to be the Alamo. Agree. Thank you yep. very much. Absolutely. Agree. <clears throat> Appreciate it. Ken Paxton, Attorney General of uh, Texas. The best of the Glenn Beck program. If you are ready for some really great news, keep listening. Built Bar is back, and it is unbelievable. If you've been listening to my show this year, I love Built Bars. Uh, it's an all-American story. This is a client I asked to be on the show because I didn't listen to my wife again. And she'd been telling me about it, but it has protein bar on it. And those always taste like a doormat. This is unbelievable. The mint brownie flavor. Oh, yes, baby. It is life-changing. The new bars taste better than ever. In addition to the 12 original flavors, Built Bar just added cookies and cream, carrot cake, caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, apple almond crisp. I mean, it's just, it's great. Built bar delicious nutritious high protein low calorie high fiber low carbs 100 real chocolate and 100 really good plus they've reset the code for this new launch right now go to builtbar.com use the promo code back get ten dollars off your first order promo code back builtbar.com so fifteen dollars an hour why only fifteen dollars an hour i mean it's like the masks you know well, if one mask is good, two masks is better. Why not three? Why not seven? Why not 25? Uh, same thing with with uh, minimum wage. Why, why shouldn't the minimum wage be something really living? And maybe, you know, something that includes like where, where you could buy a house, maybe like $60,000 a year. I mean, why don't we just do that? Why stop at 15? Uh, Brian Riedel is uh, with us. He's the uh, senior fellow of the Manhattan Institute. He's a guy who doesn't care who's in office, Republicans or Democrats. Uh, he uh, he points out both of them suck when it comes to actually living by the budget. Uh, and we want to talk to him about the $15 wage. And also, uh, how long can we last at these kind of spending uh, limits? Uh, we go to Brian now. Hi, Brian. How are you? 
I'm great, Glenn. How are you? Very good. By the way, I forgot to mention you were also uh, one of the uh, researchers and co-authors of the book Broke, which was fantastic. I, at least they tell me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a great book. I was honored to have helped uh, in my own little way. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Okay. So, Brian, let's talk about the $15 uh, dollar, uh, wage. Mm-hmm. What will that do to the nation? Well, you know, the Congressional Budget Office said that even if we did it gradually during an economic boom, it would cost between 1.3 and 3.7 million jobs. Instead, they're talking about doing it during a recession, which means you're going to lose even more. But that's not even the worst of it. They would also raise the tipped minimum wage, you know, what waiters and waitresses make, from 213 to $15. <sighs> So think of what what restaurants are going through right now. Restaurants are are going through their their worst crisis in history. Millions have gone under. Many others are on the brink of bankruptcy. And the solution in the stimulus bill is to increase their minimum wage by 600%. I mean, it it is economic malpractice. So, Brian, explain to people who who don't understand... You know, these big companies, they could afford $15 an hour. Explain why this cancels their jobs. Because not only can, not all big companies can afford it. You know, profit margins aren't that big. And and especially small businesses really often cannot afford it, especially in low-cost places like Mississippi and Puerto Rico. You know, they tried raising the minimum wage really high in Puerto Rico about 15 years ago, and it cost something like 40% unemployment. Oh, my gosh. But But here's another point. Even if companies can afford it, it doesn't mean they will. Because, you know, companies aren't charities. If they're going to take a loss on, on an employee, if that employee is only worth $10 an hour, they're not going to pay them 15 even if they can afford it. What they're going to do is switch to automation. And that's why the higher the minimum wage goes, the more likely it is that you're going to walk into a Taco Bell and go up to a little machine and press a lot of buttons in order to get your Big Mac. I mean, it was the, the old automat. Or the old, uh, what is it, automatic, I think, was the uh, restaurant up in New York where you didn't have anybody waiting on you back in the 1930s. Now there's no one behind the machine to stuff the food in. Now it will just be a machine. And we would call that progress anywhere else. But because it's going to put people out of work now, it's it's going to be devastating to the economy, especially when you have truck drivers who are going to be the first on the block when automated trucks are everywhere on the highway. And that's part of the plan. You know, Andrew Yang has been saying we need universal basic income for all the jobs lost to automation. Well, they're speeding up the shift to automation yeah. by, by essentially banning all jobs that don't pay $15 an hour. You're going to put a lot of people out of work. Then we're, just, we're going to have to spend a trillion dollars on their, on their universal basic income payment. So you're going to end up paying for that, too. So there, there, were, there are places like in New York City, and not today, there are places in New York City with $15 an hour would be reasonable. Um, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to pay higher if you're living in, in New York City. Um, but there are also places all over the country where $15 an hour is quite a haul. Why fifteen dollars is crazy for a national number? It's not sensitive to local economies and local conditions. You know, Seattle and San Francisco, 
can, can afford it much easier than places like, again, Mississippi or Puerto Rico, where prices are, are lower, wages are lower. You know, the, in Mississippi, the average manufacturing job doesn't even pay $15 an hour. You know, forget fast food. Even, even you know, a manufacturing job doesn't pay that. And that's why I think that the better solution is to leave minimum wage up to the states. Mm-hmm. You know, some, st- some states have been raising their minimum wage. Some cities have been raising their minimum wage. Other cities and states with lower costs haven't because the local, po- the local elected officials understand a little better the local economic conditions and needs. A $15 national floor is, is, is bonkers coming out of Washington. Tell me about Seattle, because the initial response was this is going to put the restaurants out of business. What has happened to Seattle since they put this in? Seattle uh, has, has done a $15 wage, and it, it has slowed down employment, certainly. It, it hasn't caused an epic crash in the state, um, but the, the employment growth over the last couple of years certainly slowed down. There has been somewhat of a shift to a- automation. E- even the trade-off exists in Seattle. Um, it hasn't caused a crash, but, but there has been a definite uh, slowdown in the growth of, low, of, of a lot of the jobs that are affected by the minimum wage. So we have, according to President uh, Biden now, a $11 trillion in new spending over the uh, uh, decade. They're no longer looking for the offsets. Um, he's saying that $3 trillion in new taxes uh, will help offset that. Um, I mean, we're just we're printing money, right? I mean, we're really on uh, modern monetary theory at this point, right, without calling it that? We are. In fact, last year when we ran a $3.3 trillion deficit, two-thirds of that was funded by the Federal Reserve, was funded by the printing press. So we are, we are printing money. We're not taxing it. We're not even really borrowing it. We're funding it out of the printing press. Right. And you're right. I mean, what Biden has proposed is $11 trillion in new spending over the decade. You know, to put that in context... John Kerry pr- proposed two trillion over the decade in '04. Obama proposed one trillion. Hillary Clinton proposed two trillion. Then Biden proposed eleven trillion, which shows that although Biden ran as a as a moderate, today's Democratic Party has shifted so far to the left that eleven trillion dollars <laughs> sounded like a moderate. It's a huge <laughs> amount. And by the way, that eleven trillion. That's on top of the baseline deficit of about $15 trillion over the decade. So really, Biden oh would have us run total deficits of about $26 trillion over the decade. Is that number optimistic, too, Brian? I mean, does that reflect reality, even $26 trillion? Uh, it, it's optimistic in that those numbers were before the recession. <laughs> wow. wow. And, wow. And, and also assumes no interest rate hikes exactly these numbers the the scary thing about all these numbers is they assume interest rates stay low forever and let me tell you if interest rates rise one point higher than the congressional budget office assumes that would add 30 trillion over 30 years oh my gosh oh my gosh (laughs) okay so wow um you know people say this is not weimar it's not zimbabwe and it's not yet do we you know it wasn't weimar until a it certain point <laughs> right. and then it was like oh my gosh and it's too late any idea when it becomes too late i mean we are headed correct me if i'm wrong we're headed for a zimbabwe or a or a weimar 
if we don't stop this at some point, right? Oh, the trends are absolutely unsustainable. I mean, in total, uh, the Congressional Budget Office proposed $104 trillion in deficits over the next 30 years, even before the recession, even with low interest rates. $104 trillion over 30 years. You know, you add in a little interest rate increase, you add in what we're going through right now, you could be up to $150 trillion over 30 years. Okay, so... These numbers are so big, it sounds like monopoly money. And it will be monopoly money. Point, uh, the system can't hold it up. And that could be in five years, seven years, ten years. A lot of it really depends on the bond market. If, to the extent that the bond market is lending Washington money, at some point they're going to say, we're going to stop lending you. We don't think you're good for this. This is ridiculous. And you're going to have to pay us twice as high of interest rates to compensate for the risk. At that point, you get into this vicious circle where Washington has to pay higher interest rates in order to attract lenders, which only makes the borrowing more, which makes them even more nervous, which requires even higher interest rates. At that point, I think what happens is Washington says, okay, forget finding lenders. We're just going to use the printing press. And that's when you start looking like (laughs) Weimar Germany. Didn't we? Didn't we already kind of hit this in some ways? I mean, I think it was over last summer or the summer before. We offered bonds, and nobody took them, and the the Fed just started buying them. Yeah, in the short term, we're facing that right now, because with deficits, $3.3 trillion last year could be even bigger this year. There just isn't enough people buying bonds to pay for that. As a matter of fact, the number of borrowing we're getting internationally, new borrowing has been pretty much zero. Um, China and Japan have, have not been buying our bonds at all. And domestically, there just isn't enough savers in order to pay for all this. So right now, we're facing, you know, the printing press running it because we can't we can't find three to four trillion dollars a year for for domestic people to to lend to us. Now, hopefully, as the recession ends, the deficit goes down to only one or two trillion dollars a year. I put only in air quotes. That'll be a little bit easier to finance, but the, but. It's not sustainable long term to keep borrowing one, two, three trillion dollars a year. Have you seen what's happening in Davos with the Great Reset? Uh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Everybody's carrying such a heavy load. Um, yeah. Yesterday, they said all we need is fifty trillion dollars, uh, and we can we can do all these things. Fifty yeah. trillion. That sounds like where politics are right now. You know, a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I wrote an article that said the Democrats' proposals would cost $42 trillion over 10 years, and people thought I was crazy to use a number that big. No one would ever propose that. And now these numbers are old hat. You know, Green New Deal, uh, Medicare for All, all of this stuff. We, we, we're hearing $50, $100 trillion thrown around like they're nothing. Thank you so much. Uh, Brian, I'd love to have you on again, but uh, I need to take some medicine here before... <laughs> I talk to you again. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. I I would like to go in a little further on what it means when the dollar starts to lose its value and and who really gets hurt. It's the people who always played by the rules and people who have their money in a savings bank. Exactly. Uh, All right, Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Brian knows that stuff better than anybody. I swear, he's a great follow on Twitter at Brian underscore Riedel, I believe it is, R-I-E-D-L. Uh, great place to go because he's got this stuff, and he's been saying it the whole time. He was saying it, every president 
going back even through the years, Trump. through Trump, all yeah. the whole time. You know, a lot of conservatives haven't focused on the budget here and the debt for a while. Hopefully that's going to return here with Biden as president because it's really important. That is I mean, that is the one good thing about the Biden administration is at least conservatives will start paying attention to the debt again. Some people find their faith. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. I, 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 I want to go over this GameStop thing again. Okay. When, when the stock was at $2 a share, right? Mm-hmm. $2 a share. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys on Reddit, they decided that they were going to run this up. Now, if I did this on national radio, it would be illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't say, hey, everybody, let's do this. But apparently on Reddit, you can. Yeah, it's public. Usually public, openly speaking about your opinion on a stock is fine. Um, doing it in private venues is usually not fine. And secondarily, doing it, FCC has all sorts of laws about Correct. how you can do that. So Correct. That's in a different conversation. So let's say you invested in the $2 stock when everybody was on Reddit. And they're like, hey, let's let's buy this up. And yeah. he, the guy, the first, he invested $50,000. Yep, his life savings, supposedly. Uh, this guy on Reddit and then started talking about this uh, theory, which has proved to be very, very accurate. Uh, so as of yesterday, it was up to $15 million it was worth. However, the stock has basically doubled today. So this is craziness. It's in- insane. It is craziness. Uh, you know, the, the you're putting billionaire hedge fund investors out of business, maybe shutting down. There's rumors of bankruptcy of this hedge fund. If this happens, I mean, these guys are not going to be happy and they know a lot of people, (laughs) but a few of these guys are going to get very, very wealthy off of it. I wonder what the repercussions are going to be, not just for them, but when Democrats start saying this can't happen, look at how bad capitalism is. That's around the corner, too. Uh, Stu will have more on that at eight o'clock Eastern tonight on uh, Stu Does GameStop. And Hmm. tonight, my Wednesday night special immediately follows 9 p.m. Eastern Blaze TV. (laughs) 